Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. up on aisle five to do after the last uh, hour. Um, So let me say this. um, For those of you now atting me about banned book week, um, characterizing it as made up was probably the wrong language. It is an official thing. Uh, It does have a long history, but it's a pseudo event. I guess maybe that's the way that I should say it. Um, So yes, it's happening, but it's, it's not a real thing. Like, they aren't really banned books. It's it's a pseudo event in that way. It's a made up thing in that way um, because these books are uh, not banned. They're actually being celebrated. That's why they pick a theme every year uh, when they describe them as banned. What they're saying is people like you and me, Christians, don't think kids should read them. And therefore, they want to celebrate them in a particular week. They want to elevate them in uh, the cultural conversation. That's what I mean by made up. So I apologize for those of you who misunderstood my characterization of the event. Yes, it's a real thing, but it's a pseudo event. It's a what's behind it is made up. Maybe that's the way I should say it. Okay, um it is a real cultural conflict. Maybe is the the right characterization of that. Okay, for those of you who are adding me related to Subway because it's your favorite place to eat and you think burritos and hot dogs are sandwiches too, um Wow, I had no idea that this was going to create such a firestorm of controversy to lift up the news headline today, which is a ruling out of Ireland. An Irish court says that Subway's bread is not legally bread because uh, it contains five times by weight too much sugar. So here, here's the here's the law in Ireland, and it's is related to the taxation of certain things. And the only reason that we're even having this conversation is Subway tried to get its bread tax-exempted as a staple food. But in order for the bread to be tax-exempted as a staple food, it has to qualify um, under Irish law, which means that uh, it sugar, fat, and any sort of bread improver cannot exceed 2% of the weight of the flour in the bread. Well, Subway's recipe, sugar makes up 10% of the weight of the flour, and so, therefore, it's disqualified as a staple food, which means that under Irish law, it's not bread. Now, it, 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 what? okay, so let's have a conversation quickly here about bread. Um, yes, I know Adam Holtz is already waiting in the wings, but I can do this in probably one minute. What is it about bread? Let's just pause there for a second. What is it about bread? What's it, what is it about the smell of fresh break bread that actually makes us salivate? What is it about a basket of bread on the table that tells us that we were expected and we're welcome and we're wanted. Uh, what, what is it about a loaf of bread, a broken loaf, that calls us to a fellowship that far surpasses that which we ourselves could ever uh, produce? I mean, if I were to stand before you with a whole loaf of bread and I were to break it and just hold it there in two pieces, 
you would be transported to a time and a place and an experience that goes way beyond the breaking of a loaf of bread. Why is that? Bread figures powerfully in our lives. Think about the unleavened bread that was prepared by the Hebrews on the day of the Passover. Think about the bread uh, from heaven that blanketed the ground to feed the Israelites for every day for 40 years in the wilderness. Think of the bread of the presence that was eaten by David for sustenance or the loaf that was broken at the Last Supper that stands forever as a reminder of the sacrifice of Christ. Think about the bread that was shared after the walk to Emmaus. May Christ be known to you today in the breaking of the bread. Bread figures powerfully in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. And so today in the conversation about Subway and whether or not footlong sandwiches are actually a foot long and whether or not the bread is really bread, why don't we take the opportunity to make Christ known to others in the breaking of bread? Adam Holtz is is up next from Plugged In. We're going to talk about what you're watching this weekend. We'll be right back. from Focus on the Families Plugged In. Welcome back, sir. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. Good morning. Um, tempted to ask if uh, the bread item that you had this morning was really bread, but we're going to go past that because apparently right. uh, we eat all kinds of things that wouldn't qualify as bread that are called bread. Well, but we drink I mean, milk it, it, that's not milk, so I don't know. Yeah, it, it feels like we're really splitting existential hairs that if bread has too much <laughs> sugar, it's not bread. <laughs> Well, what is it? It's just, it's sugar bread. If it's bread. not we leavened, can... if it's not leavened, is it bread? Well, mm-hmm. I mean, I know. yeah, I know. because I know. unleavened bread, that's I know. from the Bible. I know. So yes, it is. Well, there you go. That's from the Bible. <laughs> so it is bread. All right. Thank you. Thank you for that, sir. That will be the final word on that this morning. God, uh, let's God do said some... it. That settles it. <laughs> there you go. Let's do some, um, let's do some reviews. Uh, tell us yeah. about Infidel. Infidel is a movie that uh, is playing in theaters right now. Yes, there what? are still a few movies in theaters. I'm not and googling. I know. Uh, it stars Jim Caviezel as a sort of, oh, he's a sort of amateur blogger, evangelist. He talks about faith stuff, and he gets invited to speak uh, in Cairo, Egypt. This is based on a true story. And in the midst of this debate, he gets straight up asked about Jesus. And even though he knows better, he goes on to make a a pretty impassioned declaration about who Jesus is. And the video goes viral. And before he knows it, you know, in most in America, that would be a good thing in Egypt, not so much. Mm -hmm. Uh, he, He gets kidnapped by Hezbollah, uh, who break into his hotel room, uh, and at that point he knows that he is in in deep trouble. Meanwhile, his wife Liz is working with the State Department to try to get him freed. Um, and so this is really a a movie about faith, about boldness, about courage, uh, both on his part and his wife's part. Uh, and that's that's great. It's also an R-rated movie because there is a lot of violence. Um, the guy is repeatedly tortured, beaten. Um, this is a hard movie to watch. 
so it marks at least Jim Caviezel's second movie <laughs> in which he gets tortured, you know, the first being The Passion of the Christ. Um, so it's an R-rated movie, and right there I think um, that's going to be a full stop for a lot of people. So inspiring story, but one that really shows some images and some torture that are really difficult to watch. Um, despite that, it did pretty well in the box office. It hasn't gotten great reviews, which obviously probably isn't a surprise to anyone. These kinds of movies don't often get good reviews. But um, interesting film, and I think it's interesting that Jim Caviezel is continuing to make, um, if not Christian movies, then certainly faith-oriented movies. So uh, it's a a little bit of a, an outlier in terms of the kind of movies we're used to seeing. All right. Talk with us about The Glorias. Uh, the Glorias is about Gloria Steinem. And, of course, Gloria Steinem was probably the person in the 1960s and 70s who raised the flag for women's liberation, for the equal rights movement. Uh, and this is a movie that shows her growing up and um, – really fighting that battle uh, in some positive ways and some really negative ways. I think most Christians probably don't have, you know, you say Gloria Steinem and your first thought is not necessarily a warm and fuzzy one. Uh, I think one of the things we do at Plugged In is try to give films credit for what they get right. And we see that she is a really hardworking, intelligent woman who detests the way she sees women objectified and treated unequally in the culture. And so she's fighting for that. And I think that basic fight for equality is a good thing. Uh, the really unfortunate part is that the film sort of treats abortion as almost a sacramental thing. And I love what Paul AC does in our review of this movie. He talks about um, what, what she accomplishes almost in religious terms. Like there's this orthodox way to think about what feminism is and isn't. And at the heart of that is a no questions asked embrace of abortion. And obviously that is, is deeply and tragically problematic. Uh, this is a movie that uh, Paul also called it a hagiography. If you're not familiar with that word, that basically is a story of, of a saint that paints them in the best possible light. So it's pretty one dimensional in that sense. You're not going to get a deep critique of her character flaws, but uh, Interesting film. Uh, if you want to learn more about that time, uh, R-rated film, just for some language and, and quite a bit of sexual content as well. So that is The Glorious. All right. Do you want to talk about Secret Society of Secondborn Royals or Enola Holmes? I want to talk about Enola Holmes, which is okay. one of the best movies I've seen this year with a huge asterisk on the end. Um, <laughs> this movie stars... Millie Bobby Brown, who many of your folks may know as Eleven from Stranger Things, and she plays Enola Holmes. If you're saying, I wonder if that's a relation to Sherlock Holmes, ding, 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 you win a prize. It's Sherlock Holmes' little sister, and she's significantly younger. She's been raised by her widowed single mom, played by Helena Bonham Carter, or is it Helena? I actually never had known what it is. Anyway, um, her mom disappears on her 16th birthday, but it's clear that there's more going on than meets the eye, and Enola launches off into her own adventure to find her. This is another one that really strongly 
gives a pro-empowerment message to young girls saying they can do whatever they want. They can be whoever they want to be. It's a movie in which we see how her mother has raised her to reject the constricting gender norms of the side of the times. So, you know, she knows archery, she knows jujitsu, she knows history. Um, Millie Bobby Brown is straight up adorable in this movie. I mean, I, it was so much fun. Uh, there's a little, a smattering of violence, um, enough to earn it a PG 13, although even some were questioning that. Uh, but where it gets really weird is, um, there is a character who is a political extremist who is willing to go to great lengths, including committing terrorist acts to uh, to change society. And that character is depicted in a positive light, and the film never really backs off from that. And I think right now in our time of of cultural upheaval, that felt like a really irresponsible message to me. So I think it's navigable, um, but uh, this thing's taken Netflix by storm. And definitely, I think, will continue to uh, to propel Millie Bobby Brown's career. All right, we're going to take a very brief break. When we come back, I am going to ask Adam Holtz about Justin Bieber uh, and a new release called Holy. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continue my conversation with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In. Adam, I want to um, I want to reach back one day and talk about Bring Your Bible to School Day, but I also want to talk about Justin Bieber's new release, Holy. So, um, so let's start there. Uh, what is Justin Bieber up to, and do you feel like this marks a new era in his music? Justin Bieber, especially since he got married, he's been talking a lot about God, about Jesus, about his faith. And I think he's definitely on the right track. Um, obviously his marriage to Haley, which just marked a, a year, a couple days ago, um, has been something that seems to have been a pretty transformative experience. And, um, I think he's on the right track. I think Holy is the song is, is really a little bit of a, a mixed bag um, he is talking about holiness in the context of his sexual relationship with his wife. And so we get lyrics like the way you hold me, hold me, hold me feel so holy, holy, holy. Uh, another line says, I might go down to the river cause the way that the sky opens up when we touch, yeah, it's making me say, and then the holy, holy, holy again. And so I, I'm, there are multiple ways to parse that. Obviously God has designed our sexual relationship with our spouses as a good and beautiful thing that is uh, is an expression of intimacy in the context for which he designed it. Uh, I like that. I think when we start to mingle language about sexuality and God, our culture may not be able to understand exactly what's going on there. And then there's just the question about marital intimacy is a good thing how much do you talk about that in the context of being a celebrity? And so I think that he is trying to talk about it in a good way. I think it still maybe goes a little bit further than is helpful. And he has Chance the Rapper on as a guest artist. And at one point, uh, Chance says, I know the spots that get the best weed we go in next week. I'm like, okay, maybe we don't get Chance the Rapper singing about marijuana 
in a song about holiness. So I think Justin's going the right direction. Um, this may not be quite as squeaky clean as the title would imply. Holding uh, marriage and the marriage bed in high honor, um, keeping the marriage bed undefiled, recognizing that there is something um, mysterious about the way God makes two people into one, um, yeah. recognizing that there is something about the experience of marriage that is so utterly unique as to be reflective of an eternal reality between Christ and the church. There is a conversation to be had about marriage and sex and holiness. Um, And if Justin Bieber is lifting that conversation up culturally in um, in a way that as Christians we can point to and say and, and have a conversation maybe with next generation people who are actually listening to Justin Bieber, because I'm not. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, that it would give us the opportunity to say, um, what what do you think he's talking about and how does that resonate with what you know scripture has to say? And maybe they don't even know what scripture has to say. I mean, do, do you know yeah. does do people even know that there are conversations in the Bible about uh, the sanctity of the marriage bed and keeping it holy and undefiled. Yep. Like, do people know that? Those would be, yeah. be good conversations to have about um, sex as a good thing, as a, I mean, yep. a transcendentally good thing and beautiful yes. thing. Um, and so I think that when we have the opportunity to take something that's happening in the culture like this and lift it up and then point to Scripture and to do so positively, we have to do that because you and I— you know, we yeah. find plenty of uh, of opportunities around us as Christians to point to what cultural icons are doing and and say, oh, that is bad. <laughs> that is well, so bad. Here's, here's the other thing that I'll give him credit for. Um, he says, run into the altar like a track star. Can't wait another second. And I would interpret that as understanding that the place for sexuality and sexual expression is in the context of marriage. And so... Mm-hmm. Absolutely kudos and full credit to him for saying that because there are even Christians in Hollywood and in the entertainment industry that don't make that connection. Yeah. Hey, one more thing before we have to let you go. Uh, yeah. Bring your Bible to school, not just a day, although it was yesterday. Talk, talk about what Focus on the Family is working on to turn this into um, something that goes beyond just a day. Yeah, bring, the, bring your Bible to school day was yesterday. And we have, um, if you go to bringyourbible.com, Um, you'll find a tab on that page uh, called Live It. And so we're doing what we call Live It Challenges um, each month of the year to equip families to go deeper together into into their faith and into Scripture. Uh, And so we really want uh, this to be not just one day of the year where we recognize that Scripture is a part of our life and we proudly declare that by encouraging kids to take their Bibles to school, but really moving toward an idea that Scripture is something we want to integrate holistically and intentionally into our lives every single day. So um, you can find the whole website just at bringyourbible.com and uh, and dig into that. Actually, you know what? It's bringyourbible.org. My bad. <laughs> .org. That's all right. Bring your. I think if you just start typing, bring your Bible. Yeah, it should uh, come it up. It pops up. 
right? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So that's really cool. So thanks for doing that. Uh, that yeah, is Adam Holtz. He is from Focus on the Family's Plugged In Ministry. You can find what we talked about today at PluggedIn.com or BringYourBible.org. We'll be right back. Lynn Cheney is, among other things, the wife of the former vice president of the United States, Dick Cheney. She is an accomplished historian and author uh, of in her own right. She has six best-selling books, including uh, American History for Children. Um, we're going to talk with her today about a brand new book just published, gosh, I guess a little over a week ago now. It's called The Virginia Dynasty. It's a it's a look into the lives of George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, and James Monroe, um, all of whom were born and raised and lived out their lives basically in a 60-mile radius. And so it's called the Virginia Dynasty, and we're going to talk about how this place and how this period of time, these people not only changed the world, but uh, endowed us with the ideals by which we live today. Lynn Cheney, up next on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Licato. The father may have thought he was walking the road to Capernaum all alone. Quite the contrary, Christ had supernaturally gone into the nobleman's residence and not only healed the son, but also won the hearts of the entire household. Was the father's prayer answered? By all means. It was answered in a manner greater than he had requested. Yours will be as well. Perhaps the answer will come this side of heaven. Perhaps it awaits you on the other side. Either way, this story urges you and me to keep walking and believing in our God, who is our ever-present help in trouble. Ever-present. You'll never be put on hold or told to check back later. Ever-present. As near as your next breath. Ever-present help. He is here to help. That's the message of this miracle. That's the message of the gospel. Remember, friends, you are never alone. This is Max Locato. So there are periods of time in history when... Um, not only one person is born, but several people are born, and God sees fit to have them raised within the context of one another, and they become an iron that sharpens iron. I guess I look back and I think about David and Jonathan, and I think about uh, the ways in which them having been born in the same time and context enabled them to uh, not only both individually become the men whom whom God could use, but how they strengthened one another and really did provide for the nation of Israel in unique ways. There are four men in our nation's history who God saw fit to have live in the context of one another in the same time and place. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, and James Monroe. And uh, here to talk with us today about the Virginia dynasty that really is these four men and grows out of them is Lynn Cheney. So Lynn, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. All right. It's a thrill to have you on today. Um, if we were to look out the window with you right now, what would we see? Uh, well, I'm in Virginia, and we see uh, partly cloudy skies, but the sun is peeking through enough, so you have shadows and a 
like it will be cool, um, but beautiful. So this is a book, uh, The Virginia Dynasty, that helps us understand the nation's founding by helping us look into uh, the lives of four men and really take the measure not only of one man, but the measure of all of them. Uh, Talk with us about this project, because it's pretty unique. It was uh, inspired, really, uh, when I was working on my book on James Madison, which is the last book I wrote. And I realized how intertwined his lives were with these men uh, with whom he uh, grew up in a little narrow area of Virginia. Um, they, uh, it was a 60-mile uh, radius uh, of a circle, um, just east of the Blue Ridge, and that's where they all four were born. That's where they all four grew up. That's where they all four made their homes. And it's quite extraordinary, if you think about it, to have four of the first five presidents come from that uh, from that little area. So first of all, I was curious, how in the world uh, could this happen? Well, and what did you discover? Because I, one of the most intriguing parts of this for me was the civil and decent behavior book, uh, all of the rules in that. Um, so because there is something going on in this period of history in Virginia that's, that's pretty unique. Well, one thing that's going on is uh, good education. Uh, Virginians were very interested in educating uh, their uh, the people, uh, the sons of the gentry, as well as any European uh, child might be uh, educated. And so they had fine professors who were well-studied in Enlightenment thought. You know, the idea that uh, uh, we should try to better the world, that we had a moral purpose, and that uh, we shouldn't just move ahead uh, thinking of uh, old rules and, and superstitions, but look for ways to uh, to, to bring uh, equality and liberty and justice uh, to people. So they were all raised with that kind of education. Washington was self-taught, uh, and you brought up a very good point. Uh, part of his self-teaching was uh, this little book of etiquette that he copied from. And um, one of the uh, uh, behavior, not etiquette, one of the um, Parts of it that I think really appealed to him was uh, a part that said, always pay attention to that little spark of conscience within you. I think Washington did. So um, Lynn Cheney is referring there to the 110th rule of civility and decent behavior. Uh, uh-huh. in, and, and George Washington wrote these down. Um, and this one, uh, I think you highlight because it was hard for him. This was, it was hard for him. He, uh, he had a bit of a temper. And so, uh, laboring to keep alive in your breast, that little spark of celestial fire called conscience was, uh, was an important part of his, not only education, but I think that the way that he wanted to see his own temper tempered over time. We are talking with Lynn Cheney, uh, among other things, the author of an excellent new book entitled The Virginia Dynasty. Um, And yes, for those of you who recognize her name, she is the wife of former Vice President Dick Cheney. um, And so has been, you have been a person in our prayers uh, for for many, many years and continue to be so. Lynn, I'd like to ask you, because I know there are people listening who, as you just described, um, liberty and equality and human possibility for, uh, as a part of what these men were conceiving of in this in this nation you do not shy away from the fact that they were slave owners and that that is a part of what's going on in the culture of their day talk a little bit about that uh, as a part of the virginia dynasty 
I think we've done a better job over the last couple of decades of uh, really making clear um, when you visit uh, Monticello, for example, making clear uh, the contribution of enslaved Americans, the presence of enslaved Americans, how much uh, the uh, uh, beauty and grandeur of Monticello was dependent upon them, uh, that they built it, for example, uh, they and, and, uh, and others. But uh, we've done a better job uh, of understanding it. I do worry sometimes that uh, a lot of our education focuses on the fact that they were slaveholders without explaining that, one, they hated slavery. They all spoke out against it. Madison, as a young man, tried to find another way to live. Um, it was going to be land speculation, but uh, that didn't work out. Jefferson called slavery a, a sin against God. But they couldn't figure out uh, a, a way to uh, total emancipation, to freeing everyone, which is what justice demanded. So it was one part of their life that they lived in a system that they hated. But there was another part of their life where they had a vision of a, a system that could be better, that could bring those ideals that we talked about um, to fruition in people's lives. And that's what they worked on. Their lives were a contradiction, and they knew it. But um, the world owes them so much for setting out to build a nation um, based on uh, liberty and equality and and freedom. Uh, We owe them so much, and one of the ways in which we owe them is by propagating those ideas. They created a powerful weapon for destroying slavery. As people began ever more to talk about, uh, believe in these ideas, uh, believe in the possibility of, of having them in their lives, it became ever more intolerable that there should be uh, human beings enslaved. Lynn, you are, um, <clears throat> you're a, just a very accomplished woman, and there's so many conversations that, that we could have with you, just, you know, based on your own growing up and the places and spaces in which you've served and the uh, the conversations you've been engaged in nationally and internationally. Um, you know, we are in a challenging time in relationship to, let's say, the humanities or higher education or uh, public policy. And all of those are things that you have during uh, during seasons of life been very attuned to and engaged in. Um, I'm wondering if there are things that hold your attention today where you say, wow, if we really as Americans and maybe specifically as women would apply ourselves um, to this one thing, maybe uh, maybe we could move the needle now in the same way that these four men moved the needle in their day. Um, I, I think that as mothers and grandmothers, we have great influence. I, there are, of course, uh, enormous contributions um, being made by, by women in professions. But these domestic uh, opportunities to educate our children, when I become very discouraged about history education in our schools, for example, I, I think of uh, mothers and grandmothers sitting down and reading and explaining to their children how this uh, amazing country of ours began and, and how it has thrived. So I I think we shouldn't, while praising to the skies the professional accomplishments of someone like Amy Comey Barrett, 
while praising them to the skies. We and, and she, of course, recognizes the domestic skills, but but we need to recognize those and to see them as an opportunity to help ground our children in this country's story. Well, and you've certainly helped us do that by giving us readable, accessible history books, books about historical figures and periods of time and places. So let me uh, let me commend to our listeners the Virginia Dynasty. Uh, Len, please give your uh, give your greetings, give our greetings to uh, to your husband and your family. Um, thank you for the way in which your entire family has ded- dedicated itself to public service. Um, we do appreciate that um, as you know, as citizens of this nation and people who are grateful for those who've put themselves forward uh, in these ways. Well, I want to thank you for what you do, um, uh, talking to people, bringing them uh, uh, into uh, a more decent, higher realm. I don't know if decent is the word, you know, but but the civility, the decorum uh, that Washington talked about uh, that does come from that celestial uh, spark of conscience in it. And I think you help make people better aware of that. So thank you for helping me today, having me on. Well, thank you so much and have a blessed day. We know you're off to another interview. That is Lynn Cheney. The book is, absolutely, the book is The Virginia Dynasty. We'll be right back. nice, wasn't it? Okay, it's not every day that you get to talk to a uh, former, is she the second lady? Is that the way I'm supposed to yeah, frame that? Yeah, she'd be former second lady. Former second lady. Yeah. Um, let's just admit to ourselves that Lynn Cheney has been and seen and involved herself in some pretty cool things over the course of her life. And so uh, privileged to have a conversation with her today. I want to continue to pray today for those who do serve us uh, at all levels of governance. And so let me encourage you today, as you are praying um, for the president and the first lady, Donald and Melania Trump, uh, who have both tested positive for COVID-19, are now quarantining at the White House. Uh, they are not symptomatic, so they are asymptomatic. They feel fine. And so we're thankful for that. We are going to be praying for a quick recovery Um, But that does mean that, you know, for 14 days, they are going to have to do what everyone else in the country who has been diagnosed with COVID-19 has to do, and that is be quarantined. And everyone who has had contact with them also must remain uh, quarantined. And so I did think that it would be uh, uh, interesting to survey a little bit about contact tracing. We, We had this conversation in our own family just this past week. Um, if one of us tested positive for COVID-19, which none of us are symptomatic and we have no reason to think that we have it. But, you know, hello, we live in a world where uh, it's on the rise in 25 states. And so um, we had that conversation and so we went around the dinner table and we all tried to like even just remember all of the places that we had been over the course of the last week. Well, or four days. I think four days is what you're supposed to really try to do contact tracing related to. We, we didn't, we couldn't get beyond like three days back, like in terms of being any good at all at making a list of all of the places that we had been. And then we tried to name in all of the places that we'd been, we tried to name the people with whom we were in any sort of contact for more than 10 or 15 minutes. 
And so, you know, recognizing that, yes, when we're out in public, we're wearing masks and yes, we're frequently washing our hands and all of it. We are taking all of the necessary precautions. But there are times and places and spaces and particular people, particularly we're talking about our extended family, um, with whom we do not necessarily take all of those precautions all the time. So when my grandkids come over, I mean, they're little, they don't wear masks. And yes, I pick them up and I hug them. And uh, but I'm not, you know, holding them and inhaling and and exhaling. We're not we're not exchanging air for 15 minutes. We try to play outside as much as possible. We're trying to we're trying to do all of those uh, personally and socially responsible things that we know to do. But we're also uh, people who aren't living in fear. We are recognizing that there is a virus. We may contract it. And if we do, um, we will do the responsible thing, which is what the president and first lady are doing, which is quarantine themselves from others, uh, get well, and uh, and then move on with life. We also recognize that this virus um, takes advantage of people's pre-existing conditions and what are called comorbidities. And so part of my encouragement is to pursue uh, a life that is healthy in terms of the care of the temple, like your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, how how's your self-care of the temple today? It's a good conversation to have in your prayer closet. <clears throat> it's a good conversation to have when you go to the grocery store. It's a good conversation to have when you're waiting in the drive through line before you order. Um, what's my, what's the self-care of my temple look like? This is the temple uh, that that God has given me. I am the steward of it. Nobody else can take responsibility for it. Um, it's up to me. And so let me encourage you. I mean, I, I am as guilty as everybody else, by the way, of, right, eating a Dove bar, you know, ice cream covered with dark chocolate. I mean, I, there's, I can't. It's hard for me if they're in the freezer to avoid them. Um, I mean, I, I'm as guilty as anybody when it comes to uh, poor choices, you know, take a nap instead of go for a walk or whatever. But I'm also reminded that I only get one one of these. This is it. And so uh, we have some friends, friends of friends, um, and that individual is on a transplant list and he's awaiting a transplant. Well, the reason that he's in need of a transplant is because of some lifestyle choices that he has made along the way. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to shame him for the circumstance that he finds himself in, but I'm also having a very hard time praying in the way that I've been asked to pray, which is that he would, you know, that, that he would get a transplant. Because, and I've said this before, when you're praying for someone to get a transplant, you're also praying for some other family to have the loss of life of a perfectly healthy person from whom those healthy organs are going to be harvested in order that they could be transplanted into a currently unhealthy person. It's a challenge. It's a moral quandary. And we need to recognize it. Um, and, and getting back to the conversation that we had earlier today with Dan DeWitt, we, that's not necessarily um, a challenge in our mind and heart that can be resolved. That's a hard place. Sometimes we just have to admit uh, that right now we're living in a hard place. All right, let's take a one final break and then we'll wrap up this hour of Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. What are you going to do this weekend? How are you going to invest the time that God has given you? Receive it by grace. Look at uh, look at the opportunity of the moment, the minute, the hour, the day, the weekend. 
say to yourself, okay, what might I do to spend this time well? Right? Because by Monday, this is going to be time spent. And it's either going to be time well spent or time misspent. And so I'm going to encourage you and myself to invest the moment, the minute, the hour, the day, the weekend in ways that on Monday morning we'll be able to look back and say, that was a weekend well spent. I spent that time that God gave me well. That may mean Sabbath rest. That is a good and great thing. Uh, It may mean time spent with others. It may mean time spent apart from others. It certainly should include time spent in the Word of God and extending the grace of God into the world that he so loves. So let's go spend the weekend well. Thank you for spending this time with me today on Mornings with Carmen. Have a great weekend. Make it a great weekend. Let it be time well spent. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.